Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of April 2019. I wonder how many of you have realized that we're in a new chapter. And that's how I see history and and the history of our lives, in fact, as we go through them from an early age and into the lifespan that you live. You'll, you'll see that there are chapters and even the histories of your own lifespan as far as the, the realities of what's supposed to be happening and how they're given to the public and to us as we live these lives because we'll see history change, in fact, even as we live through it, our own histories in our own lifetimes, things that happened in our own lifetimes getting changed into some carved-in-stone official version, basically. And it's always really been like that. However, you find, too, that there are chapters, as I say. It's like the Cold War. The Cold War, lots of folk were born into it. And the threat at that time, of course, was we're all going to get nuked to death and we should all be governments and live in austerity because all the money had to go to from your taxes into the war industry for weapons which would never be used. And it was incredibly profitable for the armaments industry, naturally, or the military-industrial complex, as it's often called. And all sides were in on it, of course. There was Russia, you had China, Britain, the US. Canada was on the periphery of it too. It didn't let the, supposedly didn't let missiles in to its own territory. However, it did happen occasionally from the US side. But... The fact is that these are control mechanisms for ruling oligarchs within each system. China, of course, as I say, was in, in it too. Every country depends on the military-industrial complex. And you think they're all separate, but they're not quite as separate as they'd let you think. In fact, the World Bank lends to all countries. Isn't that interesting? And the, the World Bank lends to the old Soviet Union to modern Russia, it lends to Pakistan and India. They both have nuclear weapons and are always threatening each other. And I guess where where is the World Bank based? You'll look into it and you'll find out very quickly. So you'll find their connections always with an oligarchy, basically, that runs the planet. And it definitely exists. It's, It's beyond just a deep state. A deep state really is more of the of the the mechanism within countries like the U.S. of old families that feel entitled to go on the way they've always gone on, pulling strings behind the scenes. But above them, there's even there's even another another group as well. So we're, we're living in a system that has chapters. The Cold War was a chapter, and and it's supposed to just just ended. That's how it was basically given to the West. It just well just just gave up one day and. And they all went home, just like that. And people believed it, and you're into a new chapter. A new chapter, of course, that was a bit different in that you had a sense of, well, what do we do now? You see? Now, governments depend on wars or the threats of wars to tax and fleece the public, as I've mentioned many times before. It's uh, it's absolutely necessary to have some kind of threat. If it's not within, it's without. It's much better to get a, an external threat because the public tend more to go along with it. If it's internal, 
eventually get fed up and it might, it might be a self-fulfilling prophecy where they'll actually create forces within their own country that will bring them down because it's, people get fed up with it, with anti-terrorism and all the rest of it. So at the moment we've got a mixture of them both, but they've revived the old bad beer of Russia, of course, which is more mythical than anything. And they've also claimed that, that, that China, modern China, which was created, a lot of it was created by the West. Again, the, fund, the money too, the funding all came from the West as well. And the technology and, and all the industry that was given to them from the West when they signed the GATT Treaty. And everything was transferred basically from the 80s, definitely through the 90s, in a big, big step forward. And all the politicians in all the Western countries signed on to it. And we've paid to have factories uprooted and moved over to China. So you, you can't th- don't think that, that China is some kind of separate nation that, that does everything by itself. China was to be the model state for the world to follow, to copy in its social policies and its policing techniques and its observation of its own citizenry and everything else. It was hailed as the model state by the Western countries and the top national television stations in those countries too had lots and lots of programs about it, how wonderful it was. And one day we'd be as wonderful if we emulated it too. You have chapters again, chapters, chapters, chapters. Well, once the Cold War was over, very quickly, the U.S. and Britain, but mainly the U.S., who pays for most of it and supplies most of the military power, was off to war in, across the Middle East, of course, against Iraq especially. You, have, you always have plausibilities and excuses and sometimes there are none, of course, and when that happens, they give you complete distractions to take your mind off it. But with Iraq, they had Iraq invading Kuwait at the time. It was a big oil-based, well, nation. It wasn't a big nation, but it was definitely oil-based. What they didn't tell you, of course, was that uh, the Bush family, that was some of the fr- one of the first oil fields that the Bushes and the enterprises they were involved with were given to learn the ropes of running the oil industry, and that was Kuwait. They didn't tell you, too, that even popular magazines and science and so on had drawings, basically, and diagrams of how the Kuwaitis were not just drilling down into the, to the ground to get oil, they had had a type of rig they created which could go down and then go at a right angle horizontally under the ground and across borders into Iraq, for instance, and was sucking the oil, which is stealing, of course. And it was, it was done with kind of tongue-in-cheek and all the rest. But that technology did exist and does exist today. And Hussein apparently, supposedly, had approached the West, talked to some of the the leaders of the West and their diplomatic envoys were sent over to Iraq and asked permission to, to go in there and put it straight because they wouldn't stop taking the oil. That was the reason at the time. Well, that was all forgotten immediately as soon as he went into Iraq and the full propaganda machine went into action with its nonsense about throwing babies from incubators in Kuwait out the window and uh, what a monster he was. So, as I say, we're in a new chapter then. We're in this chapter 
of, of the Middle East, Middle East, and I knew it from then on, we'd have nothing but the Middle East, that's all we'd get told about. And sure enough, that's right to the present time, it's on the go, and we've had Syria, and we've had, but we also still have the next move to go towards Iran, of course, which is a big target too. People are well aware there are other factors involved in all of this. And it's, yes, it's definitely the oil, but it's more than just the oil. There's other factors, the geopolitical reasons for all of this, of course, as we well know, and other political affiliations tied with the, the nations of the West to powerful organizations and so on. So we've been going through this lull for a little, this last little while, as it's kind of calmed down after Syria campaign, although they're still getting bombed at the moment from outside. You're sitting waiting for something to happen, as I say. But it is happening. You're in, as I say, a new chapter, a new chapter where there are far more stories to do, any stories you find at all in news, to do with, with authorized, obviously authorized mass demonstrations of an international kind. And I'll touch on them tonight, some of them. Because you're in the phase we're in now, we're into the, new, the proper Soviet, the new Soviet system. And the Soviet system was to be ruled by councils. Now they have NGOs substituting for those councils, you see. And we don't vote these NGOs in. They're well organized. They're generally picked from students and trained from universities with the, with the public taxpayer paying for all, of course. And they also have foundation money backing it too. The private foundations that really have, a, they call themselves philanthropists, but they're, they're not just philanthropic, they actually train armies of what they call social warriors. Now, there's all kinds of names for them. They've got eco-warriors and social justice warriors and blah, blah, blah. But the leaders of these groups are very well organized and they're trained in the Marxist philosophies. The followers don't have to be. They're just young, they're angry, and it's easy to get them wanting to belong to some group or other, and they all do. And so you, you present the groups to them, you give them their T-shirts, and, and with the love bombing and the same terminology, because you all have your own terminology in every group, then they'll give their allegiance to the leaders of the groups. And you don't need much, really, propaganda to, to, to sway them over, because it's, you keep it simple. Youngsters see everything in black and white, as I've mentioned so many times before. And it doesn't dawn on them, they're getting used. And again, I'll touch on that tonight, how they're used. And you can simply, we've all been, been there at one time, all young folk go through the same stages, and you definitely see what's unjust. But the clever people behind all of these things that hide behind the vast majority of the youth organizations, that appear to be youth organizations, it's very old people, I mentioned this before, very old people, at the top, who manage all behind the scenes. They, they know exactly what they're doing. But the chapter now is obviously, if you look at Europe, you have the yellow vests, of course. And France isn't a mess because no one wants Macron in. And people still don't believe he actually got voted in in the first place. He was so unpopular. And he's a front too, of course. But then you have Britain, for instance, who's going through, it's going through these incredible changes where some people even say there's a complete breakdown in law and order. And even with the eco, supposed eco-warrior organizations that have been going on recently, this last week or so in England, 
You've even had police joining in with them, which is interesting too. That's also a symptom when you see the breakdown of, of uh, authority and order within a nation. Uh, the symptoms are all there. But also there's, there's almost stand-down authorization from the top as they play with that. They've got stabbings going on every day, shootings and stabbings. And the police are, are just keeping back from it all, basically, in different parts of the country. Uh, but there they are joining in protests about save the environment, save this, save that, and all the rest of it. Which, of course, is a big stick for bringing in the last phase of totally organized scientific socialistic control of the people. That's what it's for. That's what the eco thing is all about. The ones at the bottom uh, have genuine grievances, I'm sure. But the ones who lead them all, as I say, they know it's supposed to be brought in with it. They want to bring in compulsory sterilization for groups of people. They want to bring in permits for having children, to have to be able to conceive children. They want to bring in a, a, the real totalitarian system to save the planet, you understand. You, you've got to have a, a reason to push it all. It's all your fault that the world's going to hell in the handbasket, basically. It's your fault. You've caused it all. And, and the older folk should shut up, basically, too, because older folk caused it all. That's what, that's what the youngsters have been taught. You, you've got mobs there that are being riled up and stirred up by very simple... Mob techniques to be used down the road on people, and they'll become violent when it happens. They will, and they're being allowed to at the moment. Agitate and agitate and build themselves up to a frenzy. It's definitely coming. And those that control them are well aware of it too, and they know how far to push it and how fast to push it, or even when to pull it back a little bit. Things don't happen by themselves on that level, on that scale. It doesn't happen. And if authority doesn't want something to happen, believe you me, they nip it in the bud very quickly. Very, very quickly. But we'll be touching on, on some of these aspects tonight again. It is interesting, as I say, when you go back to the ideas of what folk think of as the Illuminati, but it's really the, the World Revolutionary Party behind so much of it. And they always focus in on on Adam Weishaupt, but the organisation didn't didn't start or, or, or stop with him. It was on the go long before him. And you, you, the folk don't even know in the U.S. Some of the the, the World Revolutionary Party came over from Germany to to uh, help Lincoln uh, fight the South in the Civil War. There's quite a few of them uh, that we know of. There's half a dozen of them were made top officers and some of them were generals for the North. Uh, no conspiracy theory, it's a fact. And then after the Civil War, they, uh, uh, quite a few of them went over, back over to Germany, some to France, to help overthrow uh, the, the French system as well. Uh, World Revolutionary Party, that's what they were. It didn't start with uh, the Bolsheviks. It was on the go long before that came along. And mind you, too, if, if you were alive those, those days, you would find the same people who were drawn into crowds and, and protesting and so on would join these parties back then. Because it was not a, it was nev- there was never a, a peaceful, happy system or a utopia on the planet, believe you me. And there were plenty of things to be upset about with constant wars. They still are. 
it's quite easy to get people fed up with constant wars. You have to be crazy uh, to want them unless you're at the top and you use it for geopolitical control and uh, the acquisition of wealth and resources, naturally. But uh, there's no doubt about it. The, 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 the ideas, and, and of course they give you all of this when you go in and you, if you study philosophy, and then and eventually you go, you'll actually go into Marxism as a form of philosophy and political, political control as well. And then they go into how it all comes together with forms of, of revolution. You forget too that the aspects of the culture that come from religion is philosophy too. You forget that. So the ideas of what's right and wrong come from philosophy. Anything that gives a, an idea of how to live or what you strive for is philosophy, basically. But there are those who understand this very well. They understand how to, to work for centuries to achieve a goal. They know when to back off a little bit and, and work on some other nation somewhere and then come back uh, to, the, to the primary nation and get on with the rest of the agenda. I've seen instances of this before, and it hasn't stopped. Those who get on television or on YouTube even, with their banners and, and, their, and their, their slogans, remember what Lenin said, we should win by slogans, that's what they're given. They can't really say much beyond the slogans too much, except you're all bad, and it's all your fault the planet's going to, to say, hell in the handbasket. And you've all got to, to, to change your ways and go vegan and all this kind of stuff, you see. Just like that. Folk see them as separate organizations doing separate things. No, they're not. This is all to do with so-called climate change, which is the excuse, and global warming, the excuse that was, that was dreamed up by the Club of Rome, the big think tank, to get a way to get the public to go along with their big agenda which has always been total control through scientific socialism of cultures, nations, all across the planet, international, for a global system, and how they could literally bring down the populations and be what they would say would be the, just the right number of people that were necessary to, to basically run the planet or serve the elite. It's probably a more truthful way to say it. But it's never stopped. And the last people to ever figure anything out are the ones who are involved in separate protest movements or, or demand, I call them demanding movements. They, want, they always have demands, you see. And if you don't give in the demand, they'll, they'll riot or bring the world to a standstill or whatever it happens to be. Or until they're stopped, basically. Any excuse will do. And any excuse the, to give them to, to achieve this goal of scientific socialism and control over the people will be used, quite naturally, by those in control. But that's what they, they, they ended up, uh, you've got to have an enemy to unite the planet. Aliens aren't coming in, so, so make man the enemy himself. And the enemy's against too many people, consumers, who are consuming resources and destroying the planet in the process. That's what they said, basically. And plague, famine, drought, etc., and, you know, that would fit the bill, basically. That's what they said. And they haven't stopped. And when they, when they make big world, remember, every country signed on to these deals at the United Nations. 
going way back, even before Maurice Strong, and then, then with Maurice Strong, you had you had the the different agendas from United Nations at that time too, the biodiversity treaties. They signed more treaties in Rio, and we're all supposed to be subject to the to the agreements in these treaties, even though we've got nothing to do with it. We don't need to vote on them. They don't even bother telling the public what they're about most of the time. But that's where your agenda for the 21st century came from, from these private organizations working using the United Nations. And don't forget the United Nations is there t- for a world government. Uh, top members, like not just Bertrand Russell talked about it, yeah, but yet you have other ones like Arnold Toynbee, who quite openly in all these talks talked about world government and the United Nations w- was set up uh, to, to be world government and develop into world government. His talks were openly about this. And you have to see what all the organizations that particular guy belonged to. But they didn't hide it, especially right after World War II. But not just any old world government. You say, what's, what's wrong with a world government? Well, wouldn't be nothing wrong with it if, if they had an honest, decent system. But we've never had an honest, decent system in politics. And you never will. Even the Durants, you know, Will Durant and his wife Ariel, I mean, they, they worked their whole lives for big think tanks and, and big foundations. Again, to try to bring in this same global system. And Will Durant himself said that, who, who really advocated anarchy and everything else initially, and then he studied, he'd followed all the anarchist talks and the communist talks and so on initially too, and revolutionary leaders. And as he kept changing and to, to, to morphing into the next belief and the next belief and the next belief, and eventually he, he realized that behind all move towards politics and power is power itself. Power is behind all these things, the craving for power. So that you'll never have a just system. Never, ever. I don't care how nice it sounds. The Soviet system, the Soviet charter they had, it was wonderful to read, but it just didn't exist in reality. It's always that way. It's always the same way. I can remember, too, looking into the, the communes, because I was wondering why the CIA, for instance, were so interested in studying communes. They, they, for those who don't know, they helped fund a lot of them and set them up, in fact. They even brought in some of the top gurus from India and had youngsters throwing all their wealth at them. And, uh, and it's pretty well starving. Well, well they worshipped the gurus. And the gurus living in a lot of, uh, of luxury. The incredible surveys and studies went on about all of this stuff. You find even with the Jim Jones group, the, the, the CIA were heavily involved in studying it all. Because it's always studies on human behavior. What can be used to control people in big crowds or mobs or whatever. And of course cults are, are, are a very effective method if you can keep them under control. So that, that's what I really was interested in was, why were the CIA so interested in all these things? And then when you look into the, the Durants, of course, the funding they had from the Rockefellers and the big foundations, that all were, were working towards this owning the planet, basically. Then uh, you start to see why, what was really going on. Some of what the, the, the Durants saw um, or, or said, were, of course, were, were definitely true. But don't forget the initial purpose for writing even the books. They, they turned out these big massive volumes, and, and they couldn't do it all themselves. Obviously, there was an awful lot of help involved. 
was to put a spin on history. Very, they weren't the first to do it. Well, about the same time, H.G. Wells tried it with his smaller versions of the brief uh, or an outline of history. His two volumes set initially. They're all spun to try to persuade readers that that look how bad the people are in the past, and this is why we need a totalitarian form of controlling the public, basically, in the world. That's what they're trying to tell you. They're trying to tell you this, that spontaneously tyrants just arose and, and wanting to dominate the planet all by themselves, you see. And you, you, nothing's further from the truth. There are tremendous forces behind the rise of tyrants, even in the 20th century. Tremendous forces and powers behind them that study them too, to see if it will work. And they'll, they'll even, even after they'll defeat them, the same powers that help set them up, will use some of their techniques, or sometimes many of their techniques, that, that actually worked on the, on, on, for the next chapter of uh, running the planet, basically. So the chapter we're in now is, is really is post-consumerist almost. It will be shortly, once we can't afford to buy things into austerity. And that's planned as well, going into the whole environmental thing. With, uh, it, now it's carbon taxes, which will increase like you won't believe. Like I've said a few years back, they'll keep increasing them and, until you're into austerity. And most of your income will go to, to, to pay all these things. And, and, and for bare essentials, that's where your money is to go. As you get moved off the land gradually and into these compacts, so-called compact cities, meaning overcrowded cities, and that's where you're supposed to live. So, as I say, we're, we're living through a plan, and, and the plan has chapters. It's no different than, than reading a play, and you get different scenes in it, scene one and so on and its chapters involved, and then scene two and its chapters. And it's, but that's what we're living through. It's, it's literally planned like that. The chaos is caused in between, from, from even protests that are managed to and set up to be managed, and any, anything goes wrong. Because you, know, you always have violence happening with protests and so on, as some of them get more exuberant than others. And anybody who's killed or damaged in the process is, is just tough luck, basically. Again, Rockefeller has, has said that, Dave Rockefeller. He says, you can't... Uh, can't make it on without breaking eggs. So there's that. There's all the eggshells. So there's always there's always fallout to achieve their, their desired goals. Just like the EU told the farmers who signed on, being told that they would they would get better sales if they joined the EU uh, and take loans out and, and uh, improve and modernize their techniques and so on for farming. Well, they, they took out the loans and then they were all written off. They could even sell their produce because bureaucrats decided who could sell what to where, etc. And how much it was to get dumped in the ocean, like butter mountains and milk, you know, milk, milk seas basically dumped in the sea to keep prices up and to allow only certain other farmers from certain countries to sell and everybody else at home couldn't even get their stuff sold at all. That was a lot of suicides because bureaucrats under scientific socialism ran and still run the EU today. So much so that, that even some of the top dissidents that were against the Soviet Union came out and said that this EU is actually more, going to be more socialistic and more dominating and tyrannical than the Soviet Union ever was. They, they, could, they saw right away where the law was getting passed by the EU. The EU was never meant to be democratic, for those who haven't caught on to it. Some of the leaders have said that. Again, it's scientific socialism. 
people will, will love it for a while as they just throw money out. But eventually you're going to pay for it all, big time. And that's how they really do things. Old techniques and bread and circuses. Folk can't even, they don't even figure out where their money's all coming from. As they spend, spend, spend at the moment having great fun. Because they're not producing much, are they? When the piper calls the tune, you all have to pay up. That's how it works. I could give you a little example of how well-known people that are put in front of the rest of us to set the pace, basically, for cultural changes know exactly what they're doing and how they present uh, whatever it is to you that's been authorized, obviously, in the first place by those who, who rule. And they know that they're deceiving you at the same time as they get you to believe in it. Because it's, there's no doubt about it. So, I mean, if you read, for instance, the writings of Bertrand Russell, you'll, young people especially, you'll believe and accept so much of what he's saying is, is factually true. Without realizing there's a spin on it, too, to go in a different direction, not just to help you. It's easy to point out that the failings of society, very easy. But they never ever, ever give you the fix for it, really. They might give you a type of fix, but it's not that at all. They want power over the public to bring in this scientifically controlled system. Free will is an enemy, an absolute enemy to those who rule and who are bringing in this system. But he's an example of how it can be done to show you how it's understood by those in the know. Durant, Will Durant said, the following, but before that I'll just mention that he, like many before him, including Oswald Spengler, he claimed that uh, you'd have a decline of civilization as a culmination of strife between religion and secular intellectualism. We usually talk about science taking over and uh, fighting with religion, which topples because of the precarious institutions of convention and morality. That's how it's worded here. But this is what Durant actually said in his own book. He said, Hence a certain tension between religion and society marks the higher stages of every civilization. Religion begins by offering magical aid to harassed and bewildered men. Now that, I'll interject again, that's what Wells also said in his uh, version of uh, history and so on. They all came out with the same spiels, basically, at the same time. He said, and it goes on to say, it culminates by giving to a people that unity of morals and belief which seems so favorable to statesmanship and art. It ends by fighting suicidally in the lost cause of the past. For as knowledge grows or alters continually, it clashes with mythology and theology, which change with geological leisureliness. Priestly control of art and letters is then felt as a galling shackle or hateful barrier. And intellectual history takes on the character of a conflict between science and religion. Institutions which were at first in the hands of the clergy, like law and punishment, education and morals, marriage and divorce, tend to escape from ecclesiastical control and become secular, perhaps profane. The intellectual classes abandon the ancient theology and, after some hesitation, the moral code allied with it. Literature and philosophy become anticlerical. The movement of liberation rises to an exuberant worship of reason, in the age of reason, and falls to paralyzing disillusionment with every dogma and every idea. 
conduct deprived of its religious support deteriorates into Epicurean chaos, and life itself, shorn of consoling faith, becomes a burden alike to conscious poverty and to weary wealth. In the end, a society and its religion tend to fall together like body and soul in a harmonious death. Meanwhile, among the oppressed, another myth arises, gives new form to human hope, new courage to human effort, and after centuries of chaos, builds another civilization. Now, that's the standard technique uh, that all of these uh, particular chosen, very, very, very carefully chosen and elevated historians they were all for the, the new secular society. That, this is a sort of uh, thing that they gave you to, to convince you that everything was quite natural as it destroyed every vestige of, the, of any old system in order to bring in the scientific management of society. Because that's really what it's all about, you see. But it doesn't happen just by itself. And if, if you understand the natural international revolutionary orders which existed, all right, even going back into the, to the 1600s onwards, that was always their goal. And how they presented it to the public is to get the public to, to accept it as being reasonable and go along with it. That's how it's always done. He also says, a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself within. Uh, but of course, many other people have said that before him too. But that part is true, it's well understood that when you, when societies and our civilizations and even empires fall apart, it's already been destroyed within before it lets it happen. So, but it's, the whole idea of giving you histories like this is to make you go along with it. It seems reasonable, it seems, that probably is how it happened, but in fact, they don't tell you about the massive management using incredible wealth at the top to bring in the next part of the system but appearing as though it all comes from, from, from the ground up, basically, by itself. If you understand what he's saying here, he's actually showing you the stages of destruction of a nation. And we know how it's happened in the past. And this is taught, members of science, even in Marxism, and in Trotskyism especially, uh, then they're giving you the formula of what you must do to destroy a culture and a system. You understand that? Uh, this is how deceptive writers can be. And uh, they knew, you know, they actually knew exactly what they were doing. And Durant was well, well versed in, in uh, the philosophies of revolutionaries, etc. And the revolutionary movement. So to the to the you can read on two levels for the that the average person who has no idea of what's behind it all, it'll sound very plausible and, and okay, it's just showing you how it's happened before without realizing no he's, he's trying to tell you how it will happen, it's happening now. And don't forget that Trotskyism it was truer supposedly to Marxist ideas and revolutionary ideas because it was perpetual revolution. The idea is that if this happened by nature, it might take centuries more to happen, then you can speed it all up by understanding the formula and simply making it happen. Just start to make sense, eh? So, folk have no idea they're living through a revolution. They really don't know. And it's not spontaneous. It's incredibly well-organized. 
and financed with leaders, uh, thousands and thousands of leaders across the planet, all trained perfectly well to take the leadership roles and also training many thousands of other uh, younger students to take part in all the different kind of protests they, they've had planned in the past and they've fulfilled up until the present time. Have you ever wondered why? And I think a lot of folk may have wondered this, that have lived long enough, uh, why the big massive protest movements uh, against uh, the bomb, for instance, that bomb, just disappeared. They, they just disappeared. Massive movements. There were quite a few per year across the world, and uh, families, whole families, would, would join in these things. They just disappeared. And even when the first Gulf War happened, again there was this incredible absence of protests. Every movement out there is, is literally takes its orders from the top. Everything's organized, so you always have leaders at the top. And when the leaders are told to stand down, they do stand down. And the followers do the same thing, obviously. We've lived through war since Gulf War I to the present time. In Afghanistan and Iraq, across to Libya, Syria. And Iran lined up, and a few other ones too, of course. And where are the big movements? The movements are against us all, because there's too many of us, they say. We're destroying the planet. We are the enemy now, not not the bomb, not massive warfare. We are the problem, because we exist and we consume. If you exist, you'll naturally need X amount of food in your lifetime, so much clothing in your life, even the basic stuff in your lifetime. And they don't want to give you that because you see there's only so much resources to go around. Scientific socialism. You understand this? It's all the same movement from the wars and revolutions from in the 1800s, in the 1700s even, to the present day. As it's ongoing, it's well organized. It's very secretive. It has its own groups, uh, brotherhoods, sisterhoods, you name it. And you have different uh, levels, just like an army of generals all the way down to junior officers and uh, NCO types down to the bottom level. And the vast bulk of them don't really know they're being used. It's, It's really good that way, isn't it? So again, if you know the formula for taking down society and destroying its culture, you just go back. And even in the early 20th century, when the art came out, and they said art must, all beauty must be destroyed. And so art would have characters with, with, with their eyeballs down where their chin is and stuff like that. And the beauty of landscape, was it gone? It was, oh no, you can't have that. It's, you know. And then music started to go atonal and awful. And didn't work. They just brought in the beatniks for for the culture industry, and uh, and they they came out with with um, they tried cannabis by then. I mean, that had cocaine too, though, mind you. And as far back as the nineteen twenties, but when the hippies came out, that their jazz just didn't take in the West so much. It took in some countries, in Europe, but in the West not so much, and Britain not so much either. And so they, they they revived and came back with with initially pop music which rapidly went into this thing of rock music. Well, eventually, you know, you know where it's all been a slide all downhill, right to, to the last 15 years, definitely, maybe 20 years, 
until you don't even find a, a song now with a, with a tune to it, you know, a melody to even whistle to or remember anything. That's all intentional. All the beauty had to be destroyed. And the beauty of even relationships between men and women and so on had to be destroyed as well. That was all part of it too. Because there's many goals to, to, to achieve before you're finished. Perpetual revolution. So again, Durant went through it. And you would have read at the time and agreed with them. Oh, well, yeah, I suppose that's true and so on. And they've got to stop wars. I don't tell you that, that, that the big powers that run them are the guys behind the wars that make it all happen. And then they manage, to, then they manage your, your opposition to wars. Then they use opposition for their own ends again. Yeah. To, to change society and guide it. That's how it's done. And they've already told you how the, the, eventually the culture is destroyed. As you, you become paralyzing disillusionment, it says, with every dogma and every idea. And conduct deprived of its religious support deteriorates into Epicurean chaos. Well, that's what you do, folks, because they know how to do it. And the way that they wrote these supposed writings on history was to give you a lot of good stuff and true stuff, but to slant everything to guide your thoughts to, to, the, to their conclusions, you see, where you, where you must go with it all. That's how it's done. And then you go into the... I mentioned the Huxley so many times, but you have no idea how, how important it is to understand these players who helped set up UNESCO, or, or like uh, Julian Huxley, who said openly that they had to uh, dethrone, basically, humans from their this, this big pedestal that they're on and uh, bring them down. Because only then would, would you allow the horrific things they have planned for you to happen when, when you've been dehumanized. Do you understand? Just, uh, that's what I'm telling you. And first we brought in abortion, and they made that sound, well, my God, you know, there's just so many folk having unwanted pregnancies now. And, it, and it's true, because they, they, they gave you the swing in 60s, and uh, sex, 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 right? That's what was promoted from the top, not from the bottom, the top down. And look what happened. Oh, look at the chaos, and look at all these, and what? Well, we've got to have abortion. Hmm? And then we wring our hands, and... See, but that's killing, isn't it? Oh, not really, you know. And then they, they take away from what it is and, to, and try to dehumanize even a, a, a baby in the womb, you know. But they didn't end there because that was never an, always the intention. Now you end up going for, oh, let, let's, let's start euthanizing people or even aborting children if there's a, pos- a possibility that they'll have Down syndrome, for instance. And then you'll expand it into any possible genetic problems down the road. If you've got X amount of problems in your family line, uh, even allergies, they might just start aborting you, you see. And there's been a lot of awfully good documentaries put out by those within that industry to do with uh, how many children that they found on occasion uh, um, they aborted that didn't have the problems that they said that they had. They actually aborted them. But then you go the other end of the scale, and everybody, we all knew this years ago, then they go for the elderly, you know. Well, you know, what's the point in keeping them alive if they've got if they've got certain senilities setting in? And a lot of folk can, could agree with it. You say, well, my, well, yes, true, you know. But the thing, when you're giving authority to the state for these things, you're you're dealing, you're you're you're, you're walking a tightrope. 
because it's inevitably going to be used against the public for other reasons. And then, of course, you bring in euthanasia for, for folk who really are uh, in internal distress at the end of it all. And it's too easy to go along. And it's just too easy, isn't it? But once again, the state gets into it. And then they start dishing it out for folk with depression. Well, you're both, well yeah, you've had depression. Okay, take that pill. Because, see, life's cheap now. Because we're knocked off that pedestal that Julian Huxley wanted us off of. But it's there. It's gone. And now it's, it's time for the next step. Well, the next step will be, as I've said already, um, let's go into, and I'll touch on it in a minute, in fact. Uh, let's start deciding who can have children, who will not have children. This was always the agenda, going way back, way back into the 1800s, at least. You can even find records of them talking about the exact same things then, and no doubt before that, too. But definitely the proof is in the 1800s. But then you have, um, yep. An eco-friendly death style. I've mentioned this one before, now it's back again. It says Washington in the US is poised to legalize human composting. How's that, right? Remember before I said you'd, you'd probably liquefy your granny and, and pour her into the garden to help the plants grow. Well, it's all here, folks. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is Governor Jay Inslee, a Democrat, expected to sign a bill within the week to legalize organic reduction. It's called. <laughs> I love how they, they come up with a nice kind of a, kind of a, a vague sounding name. Well, it's only organic reduction and liquid cremation, dissolving process, technically called alkaline hydrolysis, as alternatives to run-of-the-mill burial and cremation. It's campaigning for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, this Inslee, on an environmentalist platform. There you go. It's environmental to, to, to liquefy your relatives and, and, uh, and, you know, and just pour it in the garden as a fertilizer. You, know, you, you see, we are the business, as I've said before. We are the business. And right down to, to wanting your organs... Uh, and if you don't sign initially uh, something now, in fact, it's taken for granted that they can just take your organs. They actually have that passed in some countries. Because we are the business. We make money for, for people, you see. We make money. And I guarantee you, once this is really on the go, they'll, they'll, start, uh, they'll start selling this, this stuff for, as, as fertilizer. Guarantee you. Silent Green is here. They'll end up making food out of you. I'm not kidding you. It says liquid cremation is legal now in eight other states, though it's met with some religious opposition from Catholic clergy who believe it doesn't show proper respect for the dead. What an old-fashioned idea that is, eh? Getting back to Durant's uh, talks and other, many others, because he was only one of, one, one of the front groups or, or spokespeople to push all the same stuff. But there you go. So I've got a couple of articles on that. And another one is the biodegradable burial pod that turns your body into a tree, isn't that? Oh, that's nice and it's very green, isn't it, eh? Hmm? This is Capsula Monday is an egg-shaped pod through which buried corpse or ashes can provide nutrients to a tree planted above it. So now you find out your real purpose in life is to is to supply nutrients to a tree. Isn't that wonderful, eh? There you go. 
They're all in on the act of it, pushing it. Of course, they all get paid for this. You know, if, they, if you don't <laughs> realise all these newspapers and magazines get paid to put this stuff in too. Everyone's business, you know. We are the business. And uh, a green alternative to, crem- to cremation, dissolving your corpse in water and lye. This is the stuff they used to uh, use in, in, in movies for, for getting rid of bodies. For, oh, it's horrible and all that in the bathtub. And Well, here you are. They give it a fancy name and say it's done in a kind of uh, clinical atmosphere. No, it sounds a lot better, doesn't it? And there you go. And another one too is a burial machine that will freeze your corpse. This all all get they all get startup money from your tax money. I guarantee you for sustainability. Huh? I guarantee you, folks. All big businesses today have all their startup money from the taxpayer and grants. Not loans, but grants, okay? So a burial machine that will freeze your corpse, vibrate it to dust, and turn it into soil. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. Also, the organs, right? Again, take them off off your pedestal, down you go. There's no end to where you're going to fall, naturally. It's a man who experienced the terror of waiting for a new heart as back to leading charity, and there's a call for a change in organ donation law ahead of a crucial vote at Holyrood today, and this is in Scotland, of course. Scotland's very far ahead, uh, actually, in socialism. But uh, this is 25-year-old and so on. It gives you his life insurance. You feel sorry for the guy? Absolutely, no. But you see, it says here that supporting the British Heart Foundation, Scotland, who are calling on members of Scottish Parliament to back the Human Tissue Authorisation Scotland Bill which proposes changing the law in Scotland to introduce an opt-out system. See, before you had to opt-in, you see. Now they just take it that you're all opted in, even if you signed in. It doesn't matter if you signed anything or not. So now you have to sign an opt-out system. See how they, everything's reversed. Start the, they always give you one thing, then they'll change it when you're kind of used to the idea. This, is, this would mean that everybody would be automatically be considered to be an organ donor unless they opt-out. Most folk don't know. See? But anyway, uh, that was give you true stories, heart-wrenching stories, absolutely. But what's behind it all? Then Britain, for the whole of Britain, plans for an opt-out organ donation scheme to save lives. It's the same thing as you all, you all got to go into austerity to save the planet. Is it this, they've always got this plausi- slight plausibility somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Hmm? And then when you find out what they're up to, too, with, uh, and there's a lot of horror stories to do with what they do, with even the bodies once you die. It really is, you know. If you think it's all, it's done with respect, forget it, folks. Forget it. Mm-mm. That went out a long time ago. When you're, that went down the tubes, down the drain with your culture and the body parts. But uh, here they, they give an example of pigs. Right? Pigs, they're taking their brains out, and then they put a fluid through them to try to revive the brain. Do you think they want to just, they're just fascinated with, with making, you know, Pigs intelligent or something. This is all they do with what they're going to be doing, doing with humans. And this is an old idea. The, the, the Soviets had stuff out in the 1920s and 30s. With the, the, the documentaries out there, which they sent over to Britain and elsewhere, with dogs' heads doing the same thing, full of tubes and the whole bit. It's just uh, beyond Frankenstein. But anyway, it's, uh, it's all to do with the, whether they're going to take it with you. They, they say, oh, they'll take ethical. There's ethical questions here, because if they're going to do it with humans, blah, blah, blah. That's how they introduce everything, folks. Really. Hmm? Yeah. 
He even goes into what they're doing. It says, this could have practical and ethical consequences for organ donation. And some, they don't care about the folk. <laughs> they're just cannibalizing your body parts. But it's all, you know, consequences like legal. In some European countries, the emergency responders who cannot resuscitate a person after a heart attack will sometimes use a system that preserves organs for transplantation by pumping oxygenated blood through the body, but not the brain. See that? Just keep the, keep the, the organs that they want alive, eh? But if they use the one for the brain as well, well, how many deaths are you going to get as they keep resuscitating you? Even your brain's separate. Because you'll remember it, you would think, wouldn't you? Again, it's into horror and sci-fi, eh? but, but it's here, folks. And when science is in control, when you have tossed out all the things that gave you any respect for humanity at all, like the sacredness of being human and having life, when you've tossed out the window and put science in charge of it, there's no end to the horror, folks. There really isn't. And, you know, that's not my decision. A lot of folk will go along with a lot of this stuff. Oh, well, you know. But I'm just pointing out consequences of things. You've got to have a few folk here and there down through history to tell you the consequences. Really. This big push now, or if we don't save the planet now, we're all going to die in so many days and so on. Remember Prince Charles tried that some years ago? And that went down the tubes, and we all forgot about that, and we didn't die, and the planet's still here. Well, they always revive these scary, terrifying stories, you see. And we're all going to die in so many hundreds of days if we don't, don't sign all this stuff now and sign our lives over to the scientists to run our lives and blah, blah, to save the planet, yada, yada, yada. So the organization, one of the organizations with a little logo, all the, 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 little, the little, little symbols, it's interesting to look at their symbols. In Britain, it says the target Jeremy Corbyn on day three of Extinction Rebellion. It's called Extinction Rebellion. I keep telling folks, you know, these are revolutions. And they'll use the same terminology. And they're authorized, obviously. Just like the sexual revolution was authorized. And it was. It was a cultural revolution. Again, it's Marxist. Cultural revolution, you see. Destroy the culture the whole bit. Folk think it's happening by itself, and uh, then you end up with chaos, then you bring in a new system. Anyway, they're talking about the climate protests. They brought London to a standstill, and some of them went around smashing the windows of different corporations, etc. And been allowed to do so, massively organized though, and then they have the, the radical you know, the social warriors for veganism, they call it too. They're in part of it, because that's all part of the, the UN agenda, isn't it? Oh, they create methane, so become vegan. And these terrible, these terrible meat consumers are causing the problem too. You see, your army, they've covered every base here from the United Nations and the foundations that fund these armies. And they are armies of NGOs. Every aspect of it. And shortly they'll be going into the countryside and attacking folk who live in the countryside. They're already doing it with farmers. It doesn't happen by itself. It's not separate groups. Doing their own thing here. They're all organized from those at the top. So they're talking about the, uh, the first estimate of the financial impact of the so called climate rebellion came as activists targeted London's rail network. They actually wanted to go and do the, their airport too, but the, the cops had to stop them there. Apparently, millions of, of pounds were lost in, in currency and business because of these massive, massive organized 
funded massive NGO armies, these social warriors for veganism and for for this, that and the other, Extinction Rebellion. They want more carbon taxes, they want no cars at all for the public. That's all part of the Agenda 21, folks. All part of it. No meat. Blah, blah. Right? Then you have David Attenborough again, who already did the latest thing. I heard it last week, I think, with uh, supposedly the seals getting driven over uh, Arctic ice, etc. Because they didn't know where they were going, blah, blah, blah. It's then the, the, the stuff's melting. No, it wasn't melting. It's because of the polar bears, according to other people there, were chasing. This is what they do. They, they, they go after these things and drive them over the edge. Then they go down below and eat them. He's been caught before doing this, said David Attenborough. So he is, we're running out of time to save the planet, he says. This is the big scare tactic, you see. David Attenborough warns humanity faces its greatest threat in a thousand years and calls, calls for urgent action to tackle global warming. I've had the longest winter I've ever seen here. The snow's still outside, but it's, it's melting, but the snow is still out there. Huh? Like, it's from, from September to now. It's getting to be more of the year, more and more of the year. As they spray the sky and talk about geoengineering quite openly now. So he is getting them all worked up, blah, blah, blah. Now let's go into the other part of David Attenborough, right? Remember this article I read a few, uh, not so long ago, 2013 it was? David Attenborough, humans are a plague on earth. Mm, does that sound familiar to other great heroes that gave you in that movement? So he says, uh, he says, they're a plague on the earth that need to be controlled by limiting population growth, according to Sir David Attenborough. Hmm. And he he belongs to uh, Optimum Population, the group two, with, with Porrit, the other guy, Porrit, remember? I think they call him Lord Porrit or something they call him. But he's a patron of the population matters, he says. So, uh, yeah, he says they want they have the right to, to, to decide who's going to have children, who will not have children, eh? There you go. That same old agenda that sold goes way back to even the founders of the Fabian Society, you know? Yep, it's all here, folks. Another one, too, was that we must act on population, he says again. He said with Paul Ehrlich and all the same characters that were going to give you the coming ice age and then change it to global warming, now just trying to climate change. Same group, limit population. Remember the population bomb? Boom, boom, boom. Yep. There you go. So he's gone on. Mind you, I mean, the United Nations too, I'll put some articles from them. We will come to the UN. Eco clubs in schools will empower students to participate and take up meaningful environmental activities and projects. You see? It's all part of the, the indoctrination of the children. So they become eco warriors and vegan warriors and eco green club warriors and all the rest of it. And don't forget what the Green Party is all about and what it used to be called, eh? For those who don't remember, hmm? don't they remember what it meant, say? And um, this was called the Ecology Party initially, when they first came out with it. Then they changed the green politics, because that would be the new party for the planet, for scientific socialism, folks, and managers as all. Hmm. There you go. An Extinction Rebellion Group smashed the, the Shell oil company, the HQ uh, Corporation, smashed their, their, their windows and their doors and all the rest of it as they go through London there. That's your peaceable, you know, managed, well-funded, well-trained groups.
and other places got the same kind of treatment as well. As they brought London to a standstill. If they bring London to a standstill, it's all authorised because the, the, the folk who own Britain, and they own Britain as they own every other country, are training us all to, into the new system, the new chapter, as I mentioned it. And the Extinction Rebellion leaders, one, one of the jet setters for the group is called Robin Boardman, a Buddhist teacher and a yoga instructor who's awfully wealthy, and I think he's, he, he flies all over the planet, it says. So a leading Extinction Rebellion activist who said that air travel should only be used in emergencies, as for all you, lives a jet-set lifestyle, uh, taking skiing holidays and visiting global landmarks and enjoying walks along palm tree-lined paths. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm? He walked out of a television interview after being branded an incompetent middle class and self-indulgent by Sky, I guess it was Sky News maybe, Adam Bolton. He fights for other other things as well, not just climate change. He's a he's a serial protester. They say who's uh, railed against Domino's Pizza, Bristol Magistrates Court, Toby Young, and Bromley Council. Campaigned against expansion of Heathrow Airport, supported Muslim women wearing hijabs, and asked for retail space in Bristol. Turned into a slave trade museum. <laughs> He's, yeah, he probably makes his money off uh, all the different groups that donate to him in the, in the, in the foundations. Eh? I tell you. Well, I guess it's a make work project for some of these guys. And then you've got an article here too. It says from David Attenborough to Rob Hopkins, founder of the Transition Town Movement. This is our part two Transition Town Movement. The Observer Ethical Awards has honoured many movers and shakers in ecological and social justice. So I guess it's, so where's social justice? Think about it, folks. Who decides what that means? So it seems fitting to launch our six awards by profiling the 20 global figures who've exerted influence in 2000, this is back in 2011. For those on our list, the coming year might be best be described as take your partner's time as activists and corporates scramble for power. And we're predicting some unlikely marriages ahead. It's true, it shows you who teams up with whom and what corporations team up with some of these eco-warriors for you, hey? It's, you know, awfully wealthy if you end with the right ones. I've got a list of accredited organizations as well to the United Nations, because they have inner groups and outer groups, just like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR. And you, you, can get, you can get on their observer status group list, or you can just be an ordinary NGO, etc. And get on. again, the leaders get awfully well funded. But they've got, they've got them in every country, well organized across the planet. And you look into the foundation money they all get, it's just incredible. Tax free foundation. Again, back to Weishaupt, he said that they could actually create philanthropists that would then guide and help rule the world. Well, here we are, folks. Mm-hmm. The big foundations, tax-free, charitable foundations, owned by the richest corporations on the planet, or corporate owners. And also, yeah, Jonathan Porritz, he's a guy who's in with the Optimum Population Trust, etc. And it says here, he's Sir Jonathan S.P. Porritt, Early life and career gives you his his, his, his life, etc. But he's really he's into the Ecology Party, which is now called the Green Party of England and Wales. Yeah, he's all for reducing the population, etc., and really running the world with an iron fist. He's in with David Attenborough and other ones too, and again with uh, Paul Ehrlich and the rest of them. 
And by the way, Paul Ehrlich's wife is on the board of uh, the Club of Rome that came up with the idea of what to use, which was the climate against the people to save us all. I'll put these all, all these ones up for anyone who's interested. Most folk don't care, but you never know. This article, too, is about what happens at the end of the protest, you see, for the, for the environment and veganism and all that. So they go, they go to the, another, another protest, which is the cannabis one, have it annually, apparently, in, in nearby Hyde Park. They're a big, big pro-cannabis party. So all the ones who don't want to eat meat and so on and are all about destroying businesses and corporations are all moved up to the, the pro-cannabis party and joined them. <laughs> there you go, folks. Huh? There you go. So I'll put all these articles up for those who want to have a look at it. It says here how Cotswold conspirators have four key players in the Extinction Rebellion, that's what they call it, Ecomob plotted chaos in London from vegetarian cafe and leafy market town. They're pretty well healed, believe you me, folks. But they're just the fronts too, because above them you've got people in business suits at the very top. The top backers, remember, are big corporations, including the energy industry. Because they get so much funding to go green, eh? Isn't that awfully lucrative for them? <laughs> and then, of course, I mentioned last week, too, that Zuckerberg now has calls for global internet regulations. New chapter again, folks, uh, as they, they, they take all, basically all your freedoms of speech away from you. The whole thing with Assange is a warning to everybody now. Because, you know, the gloves off, the velvet gloves off, and you see the iron fist, that's a warning to everybody that they're not going to, they're not, it's time to rail in any rights that you, you thought that you had. You're getting taught that you don't at all. Fear's an awful good educator for most people. And when it gets really bad in totalitarian systems, you get terror that's used on the public. As uh, some of the totalitarian systems in the, in the recent past uh, should, should have taught us, in fact. It doesn't change, does it? Interestingly, Notre Dame Cathedral, because the Fantastic photographs just before the fire started, and uh, by folk who were even getting married in it. Uh, incredible history there, and it was even amazing to musicians and so on as the acoustics in the place, and how they understood acoustics, uh, where even the big pillars had had sub pillars around them, these thinner pillars, and they actually cut literally a for It's like woodworkers cutting against the grain of the stone to get a certain pitch tone off it. And then the smaller, or these thinner pillars around the main pillars going up, and these literally helped the whole church vibrate when the organ played the different different notes. It's astonishing, really. We understood such a long time ago when it was built, you know. Oh, yeah, another one, too. To do with geoengineering, I mean, how can you even t- keep blaming the public for the, for the weather when they're causing it to change? Hmm? Remember the article that said a few years back uh, from geoengineering groups and, and universities, if they, if, they, if they were ever, ever, <laughs> if they were ever a geoengineer, uh, it could cause chaos, especially when they're going into, never mind the human fallout health-wise, but also, and, and again, even with aluminum and so on, on and how it would affect the plants, maybe us too, or health. But um, they said that going into it to get loading doses enough into the stratosphere could take years, and you'd go chaos. It'd be upset the weather patterns and the, and the and the stream, the jet streams, and so on, patterns until it stabilizes. And then you couldn't stop it because once you, if you try to stop spraying it, 
once you'd done that, it would go through the same chaos as trying to revert back again, which could last for years. You know? Does yeah. that kind of ring a bell? We're going through a bit of chaos right now, as we go into it all. Anyway, this is uh, presidential candidate Andrew Yang thinks rogue geoengineering could cause a war. He wants the U.S. to take the lead before it happens. So these are called for more geoengineering, just in case the Chinese do it first, eh? <laughs> so this is a, an article. Yeah, it's quite interesting for me to read this one. And I'll put this one up for you too. For anybody who cares, life isn't all just doom and gloom. You get a good laugh at the cons that go on as, the, as you're all getting brainwashed, basically. It's quite interesting to see. And the Energy 202 study renews debate about a radical climate solution called geoengineering. It's by a reporter, Chris Mooney, covering climate change and so on, energy and environment. I'll put this one up too. It is quite something. It's just quite something, as I've mentioned before, how we're in a new chapter and power is, is reasserting itself now. They, 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 they had to give you 20 years of the internet to get hooked on it to make sure you stay on it, is to take all your rights away. Most folk now are quite content with really good nudging. They don't even know really get nudged all the time in real time to think the right things, look at the, what the right things, meaning what they want you to look at, and to avoid the things that they don't want you to look at, and to train you to be good, to be good, you see. And that means just uh, obeying your bosses and they'll, they'll leave you alone. That's the standard thing all down through history, isn't it? So that's about all the time I've got for, to, for tonight, unfortunately. It's kind of flown in again. It always flies in, doesn't it? And yet, you know, there's nothing much I can do about that. It's just the way it is. Hope you're all doing okay and, and surviving. So many folk are dropping, dropping off. <laughs> as, you, as you get older, naturally, that happens. But I was thinking, too, about all the, the good music we had years ago and how step by step they destroyed it until, uh, just like the art, all the beauty had to be taken out of life as, as, they, as they deculturalize you, uh, cause upheaval in society and marriage and relationships and everything else had to be destroyed. And um, here we are. Uh, uh, the, you don't even have the decent, good, humane music. The music that was meant for, for real communication about thoughts and emotions from people to people, how it's all this appeared and all you were left with was anger for a while and then, then they give you just meaningless wailing basically yeah. as we go through this, this period that Mr. Durant said that you would do once they destroyed the culture here we are folks quite amazing isn't it as I say the only reason I come out with this is to help those who want to know most folk are quite content to go along with everything as long as they're, they're happy at the time and they've got enough money to spend, enough pleasure and happiness, and uh, quite understandable. But it won't last forever. It's not meant to. Uh, but for those who have always understood something was very wrong and got clues about it, uh, my job is basically to come out and hopefully help those to give them the, the reasons why things are the way they are, why they're going the way they are, and how you got to where you are now without killing yourself, because a lot of people have been self-destructive the people who had insights into this kind of thing and had inquiring minds could be awfully self-destructive to quieten your mind when you know so many things are just plain wrong with uh, the, the versions you're getting told and, and the culture that, that isn't your culture anymore 
In fact, uh, you, you have very little to actually believe in much anymore, except authority. The authorities are over you. So hopefully that helps people. And I know from all the years I've had so many folk who've even grown up with me and <laughs> listening to my stuff, and it's helped them out. And that's 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 a reward in itself because. No one should deprive you, or anybody, shouldn't deprive you, anybody of the right to know truth. And you can play with that all you want, with oh, what is truth, Bob? Well, the, the real facts, real facts, facts, all of the facts on everything. Instead of giving you selective facts, they'll spin it off in one direction to be used by someone else's agenda. All the facts. That's how it should be. And news isn't even news now, as you know. It's basically opinions. You have what I think even Aldous Huxley called in Brave New World, uh, a kind of infotainment thing it was called, like information entertainment combined. That's what you have today. It's all about who's in Hollywood and who's in the latest show on television. That's not news, folks. No. Not at all. So anyway, I'm glad you're, most of you are hanging in there and getting something still out of it. And as I say, there's no downer in understanding at all. There certainly isn't. For those who are the eternal optimists who've been trained to, to look at the positive and never look at the negative, there's the people who put on earmuffs as they walk away. Uh, they're walking along a train track and they don't look backwards. It's just too unpleasant. Well, that's, that's their decision, you see. And you've got to accept other folks' decisions. We're in a stage with a new chapter. We're living in an intolerant system where people won't even accept other opinions about anything. They're showing their teeth now. Anyway, that's it for today. Stick in there. Things are changing, obviously. And you feel the forces gathering that are rather nasty. I do. And it's not pleasant at all. So for myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada... It's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.